Psalm 73, 1 through 17. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my hands had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. At ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, I discerned their end. Thank you, Rachel, for reading. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Imagine with me, there are two builders, and they each decide to build a beach house to live on, on a beautiful tropical island. The first builder decides to build the house right near the beach, but instead of using stilts, he decides to put in an extra floor. The second builder takes the time to make sure the foundation is strong and the stilts are high, even though it may not be as aesthetically pleasing. The first builder decides to not put in the backup generator, but instead to use that money for a beautiful glass chandelier right when you walk through the door. The second builder settles for plain decor and decides to buy the backup generator. The first builder decides that storm shutters, those are not necessary. Instead, jet skis. The first, the second builder does storm shutters and settles for just a canoe. The first builder decides against extra rationings for food and instead uses that money for a 75-inch TV, nice furniture, and board games. The second builder uses his funds to ensure extra rationings. It's a sunny, light breeze, 80-degree day on this beautiful tropical island. And the question to you all, and the question we all have to answer is, whose house are you going to? My main desire this morning is for us to see from Psalm 73 this. However strange or upside down things may appear, however strange or upside down things may appear, whether it be when those doing the right things are suffering, or maybe it is those cutting corners are prospering, The wise decision is always to trust in and obey Christ. And one day we will see all injustices made right. 
We've been working through different kinds, different categories of psalms with the idea that the soul that nourishes on the psalms will feel their effects. This morning, we will be looking at Psalm 73. It is a wisdom psalm. Look with me at verse 1 of this wisdom psalm. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is the kind of wisdom that you would find often throughout the Psalms and even in other wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Psalm 1 reverberates a very similar truth, 112, 129. This is also how the law is set up. And this is the, the wisdom is this, those who are righteous will prosper, those who are wicked will suffer. The law is set up in a similar way. If you obey and follow the law, you will prosper. This is what happened to the Israelites. They didn't obey the law. The land kicked them out and they were in exile. The idea that God rewards those who are righteous and punishes those who are wrong, this binary truth is found so often throughout the Old Testament, it is actually referred to as the retribution principle. This is from um, one of my seminary classes, this definition of the retribution principle. The retribution principle can be summed up in two two-part affirmations. One, the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. And two, those who are prospering are righteous and those who are suffering are wicked. So as you can see in the second part of the statement, one of the ways that an Israelite would know who is righteous and who is wicked is by their prosperity or by their poverty. This is what was going in the minds of Job's friends. So Job's friends, Job, they saw Job suffering, and so Job's friends concluded, you must have done something wrong. You must have messed up in some way. You must be wicked in some way. This is the prevailing theology often seen. You put in this coin, this is exactly what comes out. The writer of this psalm is Asaph. He's a godly man. He is, a, he is actually the chief musician at the sanctuary. He is noted elsewhere to being a prophet, writing over a dozen of the psalms, actually just one dozen of the psalms, and having many sons. Asaph this morning, and particularly in this psalm, is interested in telling us and explaining to us, it's not always that simple. And he wants to increase our wisdom by showing us a little bit more. Sometimes, for a time, things may appear to be upside down. Sometimes, for a season, things may appear to be backwards. So look with me at verses 4 through 16, the upside down scenario that Asaph describes. In verses 4 through 12, what is described is the prosperity, the success, and the easygoing life of those who do not honor God, of those who are wicked, of those who go um of those who do not honor God, do not cling to Christ. Verses 4 and 5, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. This is highlighting the peace 
of the wicked. They have peace. Life seems to go easy for them. They have no troubles. They have no weeds in their yard. They have uh, their cars never break down. Verse 6 is highlighting the pride of the wicked. If humility is an acknowledgement and a nearness to the Lord, they are far from that. They are full of themselves. Verse 7 is highlighting the prosperity that they have that allows them to fatten themselves and just indulge in foolishness. Verse 8 shows the power that they hold and how they utilize this power to oppress those around them. Verse 9 is showing there's no regard for God or his laws. The only time that God is coming out of their lips is when they're cursing. Verse 11, they are laughing at the reality of God. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And verse 12 is a summary statement. Good things like ease and riches do happen to bad people. Verses 13 and 14 actually show us the flip side to this coin. And it says, those who are righteous, it seems to be it's all insignificant. It's in vain that those who have walked in righteousness, it's, it's vanity. It's like, having a VHS, it's like having a VHS in 2023. It's pointless. He's saying, in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 14, instead of waking up and being met with favor and riches, he's met with daily struggles. Every morning he wakes up to new problems and troubles. He has sought to do the right thing, and every time it's met with distress. He feels like, nice guys, do finish last. So Asaph is describing to us a situation that is upside down from what we should be expecting. He's explaining and sharing to us that not always are those who are rich are they righteous? And not always those who are in poverty, are they wicked? Sometimes the wicked fool is rich and at ease. He's desiring to teach us a deeper understanding of wisdom, a deeper understanding of who God is. Before we move on and keep working through this psalm, I want us to think about two things that we can observe from just these verses. The first one is this, Success without God is possible. Success without God can happen. Just because someone is successful or prosperous, it doesn't necessarily mean they are near to God. This world is full of amazing accomplishments and amazing people doing phenomenal things, but it doesn't mean they're always near to the Lord. You can stop addictions apart from God. You can have a good marriage apart from God. You can be a good, moral, successful businessman or woman apart from God. You can run a successful business and cause human flourishing to others apart from God. You can be extremely intelligent apart from God. You can be emotionally stable, sober-minded, and even wise apart from God. There's extraordinary things that can happen on this side of eternity apart from God. The writer of this psalm felt the temptation toward that. He felt the temptation toward that reality. Look with me at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. In verse 15, he, he concludes as well, if I had spoken of this way, I would have betrayed speaking of God to other people. 
my question to you this morning was, whose house are you going to? It is a temptation. There is a genuine temptation to go jet skiing rather than canoeing. There's a temptation to go to the 75-inch TV rather than just settle for board games. And so we can ask ourselves this question. We should specifically ask ourselves, where are we tempted to make decisions apart from God? Or a different way of wording it, where are we tempted to make decisions with our own counsel rather than trusting in God's counsel? We were just in Sunday Bible study, and um, Holly was saying, every day it is wise to think through and, and consult the Lord and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, am I doing this for the Lord? At work, at home with kids, in school, at, in the time that you're in leisure, this is where I feel most convicted because I'm often in times of leisure, and I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? But the question should be, what should, what does, how does God's word dictate what I should be doing right now. It is tempting sometimes to feel like I can do this on my own. I can do whatever I want apart from God. But we also must remember that is the foolish decision. The second thing that we can see from this set of verses is this. It's found in verse 16. Asaph is trying to understand this upside down scenario in verse 16. And here's what he says. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, an exhausting, confusing thing that is difficult to grasp. Sometimes things are not the way they should be, and sometimes things are upside down. Sometimes wicked people do get away with murder. The arrogant are in first, and the humble are in last. And we can be tempted to say, God, how is it in your perfect justice are you allowing this to happen? For evil things to happen to good people and good things to happen to evil people. Or a decision made without God to be seemingly successful and those who make decisions for God are met with calamity. There's an honest realization that for a time, things may seem to be upside down. God's justice seems to be absent from the dealings of this world. And we will not always see on this side of eternity the masterful workings of God. And sometimes we will be met with heartache and confusion instead. Um, There's a, a beautiful illustration of an embroidery or tapestry that if you look on the back of it, it just looks all unruly and tangled up and there's knots everywhere. And it shows that on this side of eternity, sometimes we won't always know what's happening. And you look on the other side of the embroidery and you can see the beautiful masterpiece. Heartache and confusion may happen and we don't always have an answer to why it's happening. So we see in these verses, sometimes things appear to be upside down for a time. And we can be tempted to live in such a way. And we can be tempted to believe that God's justice is absent from this world. But we also see from this psalm that it will not always be that way, and that true wisdom is not living in such a way. Look with me at verse 17, the day of testing. Let's check in on our two builders on our tropical island. One day, off of the coast of this tropical island, 
There's a body of warm water, and a storm begins to brew in this nearby this island. And that storm builds in strength up into a hurricane. And this hurricane is a catastrophic category five hurricane. And it begins to slam against this tiny tropical island where our two builders are. The wind, the rain, the waves, and the hail batter each of the homes. The reality of a hurricane coming wisely had influenced the second builder, where the first lived in ignorant bliss with the reality set before him. Verse 17 reveals to us a reality that should influence all of our lives. Until I come into your sanctuary, it's a reality that this world is not all that there is. It's a reality that God does exist and that he makes the difference. The reality of God gave the psalmist the ability to see the true and eternal realities instead of just seeing things as they may have appeared on this side of eternity. Imagine looking, imagine like a massive skyscraper and all the blueprints for a a new skyscraper that's going to be built. It'd be hundreds of pages of blueprints, of complex numbers and complex designs and images and such. And imagine a little middle schooler explaining those blueprints to you. A little middle schooler would be like, well, this is where I draw my picture of the uh, Spider-Man, and uh, I just rip off this part. This doesn't seem too important. And this, you know, here, I think this is the top of the tower. Versus the master architect explaining to you the deep intricacies of the same blueprints that you're looking at. Your eyes would be open to see what lays before you. Famous commentator John Calvin says on this verse, it was until, in regard to, until the sanctuary of God, he says, until I came into the school of God meaning that when God becomes our schoolmaster and we learn from him, we see things differently. We understand things differently. True wisdom is an acknowledgement that there is a God. He has spoken and we're called to obey him. The Proverbs say the beginning, like the first part of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The basic beginnings of wisdom is an acknowledgement of having a relationship with him and a proper relationship with him, a proper reverence for who he is. The realization that God does exist is the beginning of seeing things more clearly. It's the determining reality that should influence how we live. Secondly, he says, I discerned their end. The end goal influences our actions now. The fact that a hurricane will hit the island should influence the builders. The fact that, we, that God does exist and we st- will stand before him one day should influence our actions here on earth. This is the reality that Asaph is trying to teach us, that this psalm is trying to teach us. I, I said earlier, and I shared on the slide, the righteous will prosper, the wicked will suffer, and those who prosper are righteous, and while those who suffer are wicked. But Asaph is teaching us sometimes you won't know who that is until the end. Sometimes you won't know exactly what's happening there until later. Wisdom is realizing that something may work in the short term, but not actually endure to the end. 
and being able to make the hard decision of choosing the right thing. Wisdom is seeing things clearly, even what is yet to come. And the psalm, this psalm actually reveals to us what is to come. Look with me at verses 18 through 28. We go back to our builders, our back to our tropical island. The storm has settled. The hurricane has passed. And we come to the first builder's home. To no surprise, the first home is annihilated. Great is its destruction. It's completely lifted off the ground and tossed into the ocean. It is gone. There is no more first home. There is no builder. And the home is decimated. This is what happens when we choose to live foolishly. When we choose to live in the illusion of success without God. Decisions made without Christ end in the same way. Verses 18 through 20. Truly you set them And this is referring to the wicked. This is referring to those who are apart from Christ, apart from God. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourselves, you despise them as phantoms. It is like they are walking along a mountain pass, and the path is right there, and they fall. And then like a twinkling of an eye, terror, they're gone. Verse 20 speaks of a dream. You can think about this as when we all dream at night, we may have a bad dream. And we wake up from that bad dream and we give ourselves reprieve. We give ourselves reprieve by reminding ourselves, oh, it's okay. It was just a dream. That was not reality. Now that I'm awake, I'm in reality. That dream was just a dream. When someone who does not trust Christ dies, they too have woken from a dream. Their dream was on this side of eternity where they were experiencing God's common grace of life and enjoyment, riches, his kindness, his compassion, his mercy, life itself and all the joys in it. But then they have awakened from that dream and they stand face to face with the creator of the universe The dream is over. Reality has set in. And God asked them, why did you ignore the realities set before you? Why did you not trust in the provision that I provided in Christ? Away from my presence and into a reality of suffering forever is where they go. The dream of this life has vanished. And the reality of eternal suffering begins to settle in. When speaking of this truth, I want us to be reminded of something else. People who are foolish and they desire and long to be wise, they typically can't become wise overnight. There's not really any fields in this life where you can become wise and smart overnight. You cannot become a doctor overnight. It takes years and years and years of study and practice You can't become a a professor overnight. It takes years and years and years of study. You can't become a CEO of a large company overnight. It takes years and years. But with God, someone can move from foolish to wise very quickly. 
God, it is the fool who does not honor God, and they will regret it one day. But someone can become wise and take hold of the provision in Jesus Christ immediately. And this is not because of who we are. It's because of how gracious and kind God is to set it up this way. To stick with the analogy, it's not like he has to go and build another house and construct a whole new house, and it's going to take weeks and weeks to do. No, the house is Christ. He has paid for our sins. He has gone and for those who trust in him, he has, established the, um, he has established the home. And so to move from foolish to wise can be as quickly as trusting in his son, as quickly as believing and taking hold of Jesus Christ. Someone can lay hold of Christ simply. Someone can move from foolish to wise simply through trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But once someone has passed away, it is too late. So the encouragement is, in this life, it can happen quickly. Let us look at the outcome of the second builder. The second builder, we show up to the home, it was able to withstand the wrath of the hurricane. And its its builder is okay. The backup generator kicks in, the stilts keep the home from flooding because it has a strong foundation. This is the result of living wisely when we choose to trust in and obey Christ. Look with me at verses 23 through 26. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you're in a confusing situation, when things may seem like upside down, you may not understand exactly what's happening, what we naturally will do is we will naturally go to someone we love and we care for and we desire their presence, or maybe as well we may desire their counsel. That is what God promises us. He promises us His presence. He promises us Him holding our hands, guiding us like a small child. He promises us His his advice in verse 24, His counsel that He provides. How much more does God's presence and counsel assist us? Verses 25 show us that despite all that's going on, oh no, verse 25 shows us that the psalmist desires no one else but God himself. There is nothing else on earth that is worthy of desiring and wanting but him. Verse 26 shows us that our reward is God. Everything I have, even myself, could die and fade away, but God is my strength. He is our reward. He is our sufficiency and our happiness. The wise decision is to choose God. He will be with us. He will guide us. He alone is all that we need. And one day, He will be our reward. We often do things in this life for rewards, incentives. And I want us all to be reminded as we close this morning, what will last, what will make it from this side of eternity over into forever. What is actually worth working towards The wise decision is to build the home that will last. The wise decision 
is to live your life serving Jesus because that is only what will last. In my preparation for this sermon, I came across an encouraging poem by Charles Studd that I really think captures this idea. It's called, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. Only one life and twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life and it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yes, only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Brothers and sisters, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for this psalm of wisdom. Thank you for teaching us more of who you are and how you act. Thank you for reminding us that aside from how things may appear, one day all things will be made clear. Help us to trust in your plan that you have laid out. out. Help us not to doubt when things may seem unclear. Help us to cling to your son, Jesus, when things are not going the way they should or we find ourselves in suffering situations. Help us not to fall into the temptation thinking that success can be had without you. We must do things in Christ and with you. Father, finally, help us to live wisely by obeying and trusting in your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for sending him and providing a way to know you. We ask and pray all of these things in his name. Amen.